Welcome back to episode five of Keep Honking, the Vietnam Swans podcast. Uh, this episode, pretty excited. We're going to go away from the footy field a little bit, away from our, our backyard in Vietnam. We've got an incredible guest. Once again, we've got the coach with the most, Rod Rocket White, uh, co-hosting. Welcome to the podcast, Rocket. Hello, Billy. Great to be back. And this one now is a case of which is the better white in the family. So we can have a debate about this all night, but we'll let you get started and we'll talk about that later in the show. Okay. I don't expect too much conversation there, but you've, uh, <laughs> you've let the cat out of the bag a little bit there. Our guest tonight is actually Jack White, Rod's, uh, Rod's nephew, who's just finished up a stint with the prestigious Duke uh, College basketball team. And it's, it's one of the more incredible sort of sporting um, stories that we get access to. So we thought we'd jump, grab him on the podcast and, and find out a bit about those four years and the rest of his life and what's coming up. So thanks for joining us, Jack. You know, of course, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Jack's uh, just arrived back in Melbourne. We'll get back on to some of that and the, um, the lockdowns in Melbourne and all that as we go through the podcast. But could we jump back to your early days, Jack. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, um, maybe some embarrassing stories about your uncle on a, on a Christmas lunch, if you've got any. And any of your early sporting uh, exploits? Yeah, so I'm um, yeah, born and raised in uh, Trelogan, um in Victoria, uh, Australia, obviously. Um, grew up a pretty, I guess, active kid, tried a bunch of sports, um, used to play, obviously, basketball uh, from an early age, but, you know, played footy as well and, and cricket and tennis. Um, and those last two played up until I was, uh, I think, 12, and I gave them up. Um, but, yeah, grew up, like, pretty active, trying a whole bunch of different sports and stuff. And, you know, kind of when I hit that 12, 13, you know, year-old age, um, that was kind of when I thought to myself that, you know, I really wanted to make something out of basketball um, in particular. Um, but like still was really enjoying playing footy and, you know, ended up, you know, doing pretty well with footy and just wanted to, you know, hold on to that. Um, I guess mainly as, you know, kind of a social thing, like all my mates played footy um, as well. So it was good to, you know, kind of do something different, um, you know, kind of keep that, that part of it all fun. In terms of um, good stories about Uncle Rod, um, be very careful what you're about to say here, Jackson. Yeah. I don't even know if I have too many embarrassing stories about you, honestly. I think you're the cool uncle. So, yeah, and, and just for first for, for reminiscing here, Bill, obviously I moved away when, when... So Jack is a twin, so he's got a twin brother, Ben, who's, a, who's as big a unit as, as Jack as well. And I remember one of my fond memories, and people will find this hard to believe, but I used to go home at Christmas when I was moved away from the bush and... Uh, the boys, we used to play a bit of basketball in the backyard, the family home at Christmas. So I used to come home and dunk over the boys in the, in the backyard. Um, they were about 10 years old at the time, right? But hey, hey, don't let the truth get in the way of a bloody good story. And I used to dunk over the boys quite comfortably when they were 10 years old. You've held on to that one pretty close to you, haven't you? 
Oh, I had shit, Jack, I have to, I tell you. Yeah, hang on to what you can. Now, um, you may or may not have figured this out yet, Jack, but your uncle is, is very, very well known within the, the circles of our footy club. Um, I'd even go so far as to say he's, he's a very handy footballer. Um, from, from even what we've seen, you could tell in his prime, he'd be an extremely, extremely handy footballer. But uh, one thing I've never, ever considered him would be tall or resembling the physical build of a basketballer. Um, so, mate, firstly, how tall are you? And uh, how, how do these bloodlines work, in your opinion? That'll be your last question, Bill, you ask on this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, uh, in shoes on if we're talking basketball. Um, yep. So about two metres or just under. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm actually like a good bit taller than like my twin brother. He's about six two. Wow. But it's actually like funny, like like Emma looks kind of exactly like me and mum and Ben looks like my twin brother looks like my dad. And kind of Emma's like the same kind of build as me, like she's sixteen, bloody six foot tall, kind of a big lanky Yep lady. <laughs> yep. Um, shout out to shout out to Emma if she ever starts listening to this, Jack. She said that with much. I'll love. get her on it. I'll yeah. get her on it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, obviously, yeah, pretty lucky with the height. It's always helped um, with sports, especially basketball, as you can imagine. So, yeah, um, it, it wouldn't go too bad across the Swans half back or half forward line as well. If you're ever um, if you're ever in the region, we'll talk about that a bit more. How how long did you actually stick with the footy? Um, so I stuck with footy until I kind of had to give it up. So. Um, I got a, uh, a scholarship to the Australian Institute of Sport when I was 16 and then moved away from home then. Um, and that was kind of when I really had to make like the, the, the decision to, you know, pursue either basketball or footy. Because, um, I, I mean, I was always kind of in the training squads for like Gippsland Power, like the local TAC okay. top team and, and stuff. You know, I was, didn't really, you know, put all that much focus into my footy you know I was I was always much more passionate about um basketball but you know I was just kind of always as I said you know a, a good size you know I was tall pretty handy athlete and I guess that kind of helped me to you know stick with footy a bit and you know have have a certain level of success if you will yeah um but yeah 16 was kind of when I really had to make the decision but it wasn't really a hard one for me yeah right um, um just wanted to just check in while we're still on footy. You barrack for the Richmond Tigers, right? Now, up until three years ago, they were fairly shit, right? Yep. Now, I know I know your father, he's an ad Richmond man. Did he actually have any influence over the choice of the team that you actually followed? I would say so. I mean, it was always just kind of the team that was talked about, I would say. Well, who's your team? No, come on, mate. The Hawks, come on. We are now being generous to the rest of the competition, letting them actually win a few games. And if you ask Bill, this is an interesting... He breaks from Melbourne. So Melbourne struggling. So when Bill and Melbourne beats Hawthorne, he's the first peanut on the phone to me. So, um, yeah, which is normally the case. Makes sense. Makes sense. That would happen a good amount, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would happen very recently. <laughs> Billy? 
me. Okay. All right. Uh, that's working. That's working beautifully. Yeah. Um, from a basketball point of view, at what age? I'm, I'm fascinated by this in terms of the scouting, right? The scouting for college basketball. At what age does that, will that, that start with you? Um, and how does that come about? Because I know you were involved with, I think, Andrew Bogut's his, his uh, academy thing in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So the, the AIS was part of that. But in terms of the actual scouting itself, I'm curious as to how that happens on Australian shores all the way from the US. Yeah, so um, I think the time that it actually starts is different or was different from when I actually started to get contacted, you know, myself or, you know, through, you know, mum or dad. Um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure college scouts kind of have an eye on like um, like national championships from under 16s onward. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's kind of like, the, you know, the, the biggest competition at, at that, you know, age group and obviously kind of goes up from there, you know, that kind of leads into guys getting picked up for like Australian development camps, which I was fortunate enough to get a gig from my under 16s with a uh, big country. Yeah. But um, like, I don't, I didn't actually get spoken to by colleges and stuff. I'm pretty sure just until just before maybe I went to the Institute. Um, so when so I was that early, 15, 16, uh, yeah, but for me, like, it's different, you know, especially as an international, you know, kid that's trying to do that. Um, but, I, like, in my case, you know, I was just very fortunate in the opportunities that were presented to me and, like, the like the platforms I was able to play on in terms of being recognised by colleges and stuff. You know, like, I played, you know, under-17s and under-19s for Australia World Champs, and, like, that's obviously an event that would have a lot of eyes on it. Um, being at the Institute, you know, is obviously, you know, puts, puts you on the map a bit. Um, yeah. But like for me, like a lot of guys will, you know, some guys like uh, Ben Simmons, obviously, like, um, like will go over and play high school ball. Um, like when he is kind of, when he was that age. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which was something that I was actually looking into. But um, like once I got that AIS scholarship offer, like that was, you know, a bit of a no brainer for me. Yeah. Um, like I, I hadn't been to the US like before um, and like the first time I you know got a taste of what the United States was like um, was after I'd like finished high school and like had done my first kind of round of um, visits to different schools yeah I remember that yeah yeah uh. um, Jack can I just can I just jump in and ask um, where do you think you Obviously, being in the AIS system got some exposure to the, the US college system. I've got two questions there. Where do you think Australia stands in the, uh, in the priority sort of list for those type of feeder systems? Are we, are we up there? And the second, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with that one first, and then I'll, I'll see if you answer my second question. Yeah, well, yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, Australia's definitely climbing the ladder a bit in terms of that and in terms of just basketball in general around the world. Um, you know, especially in um, women's basketball, like yeah. Australian, like female basketball is very highly regarded um, and like find themselves having a lot of success when they go over to, to college, um, probably a bit more significantly than like the men do. Um, but in saying that, you know, like just Australian uh, basketball in general in Australia is definitely on the up. Um, you know, obviously with more guys in the NBA and, yeah. and everything like that, you know, it just kind of, 
you know, you see different guys obviously taking that pathway as well that get to the NBA and playing a high level. Um, and I would say that Australia is probably one of the most recognised kind of international areas in terms of getting athletes into college athletics, um, especially basketball, um, just because you'll find, like, obviously you need to be an, an amateur to compete in the NCAA um, and in that kind of European basketball culture. Um, it's a bit more common for, you know, players at a younger age to, to sign with bigger clubs and, you know, kind of forego their, their amateur status um, to kind of, you know, take that pathway through, you know, professional teams and kind of build themselves up like that. Um, so but, yeah, think- I mean, I think for me as well, like with like the college that was like a big thing that kind of stuck out in my head as to why I wanted to go. And, um, you know, when I kind of got to that point where I finished high school and was looking at schools and stuff, um, that process was kind of put off for a bit by me because I was fortunate enough to spend some time with the Kansas Taipans in, in the NBL as an injury replacement. Um, so going through that experience as well, you know, kind of made me think about is college what I really want to do or do I want to have a crack at, because that, that, that experience was something that I really enjoyed. And, you know, just to get a taste of that at a young age was something that you know, I was very fortunate to have. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you add in the academics as well with, with college basketball and the experience you get there, like in education for free years. I look back yeah. at that camp, Cairns tampons then. The Taipans, <laughs> the Taipans trip. And when you played there and I look, I, you know, I've I got a, a memory of you and that first game. Jeez, you were like a skinny little kid back then. Man, you were skinny. Well, I'm skinny now. Yeah. Oh. Lockdown. I need to get back <laughs> in the gym. Well, Bill can help you with that in terms of getting putting on weight, as you can see by the amount of chins under his chin there, bigger than a chin in the phone book. Um, now, the, the, I guess the whole Duke, uh, move to Duke phone call, is it one of those things where, I don't know, like your phone rings, you answer the phone, Hey Jack, it's Coach K here, right? And you go, are you shitting me? And you hang up, or like you know, someone's pulling my leg, or how how does that whole sort of process work? Because obviously, once you're in Duke, and you know, it's it's obviously first of all the scouting of Duke that was that's pretty incredible in itself. But then it's about you know the opportunity, not only the opportunity to set up yourself potentially, obviously in basketball, but then post basketball as well right um so to the first part like i actually do have a pretty funny story about kind of how it it first arised arose i should say so um i was actually in in uh in cairns um had just finished uh like a practice session or whatever and um, i finish i'll go to the locker room check my phone and i got a message from dad and he's and he sent me a message on facebook because he can't text. Um, he sends me a message <laughs> on Facebook and he says, um, oh, I just got off the phone with um, with Coach Shire at Duke. He's, he's the assistant. Um, they want to get you on the phone with uh, Coach K like tomorrow. And like I'd already done like, you know, visited three schools yeah. um, and it kind of put everything off, right, because I was at Cairns. And I was just like, is, is he pulling me leg? Cause like, you know, like that's some, something he'd, he'd do just cause he's an idiot. 
Um, but yeah, ended up obviously being legit. And uh, I remember the next day, like, um, got a call from Coach Shire, and then they kind of made it into like a little conference call or whatever. And I was like, you know, I heard him speak for the first time over the phone, and he's like, you know, trying to like, how you doing, and and whatever. And I'm just shitting myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, obviously, I know who he is and, you know, kind of how he's viewed in the basketball world. And, like, obviously, I have a great deal of respect for him and what he's done. He's just kind of this legendary figure in the game. Um, but, yeah, that was that was all surreal, kind of, how it, how it came together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and, then, and then, as I said, past that, in terms of now, you've sort of gone through the Duke sort of process of that four years and... Um, been fortunate enough to, to be there and see the school, the facilities, etc. available. It's an amazing experience. Um, how do you feel that sort of sets you up now? I guess basketball, yes, but have you thought about obviously you studied there as well or is the intention, you know, I guess when you've got a scholarship or a, 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 a degree that says Duke across the top of it, you know, um, that stands you in pretty good stead. Yeah, it's something that, like, I'm really proud of um, that, like, I finished up. And, um, and yeah, like, Duke's, like, a world-renowned university and um, is obviously held in high regard in its own right. And then kind of adding the basketball as well, you know, felt like I was really getting the most, the, the best out of both worlds um, in terms of athletics and, and academics. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, because of that, you know, I feel like I've really set myself up well for you know, my, my post-basketball career, you know, I understand that I can't play basketball forever and, um, you know, something has to come after it. Um, so even just like the networking, you know, just away from the degree itself, you know, that I was able to get at Duke in terms of, you know, I did like a fantasy camp, um, K Academy, where they get like over 100 guys who, you know, from all over the country in the States, um, and they have like a little fantasy camp, like with a draft, and you know everyone's yeah. really into it, and they just love kind of do basketball. But That's cool. I mean, these, these blokes that like come and do the camp are like so big time in their own fields because it's like pretty hefty price to to register and everything. Um, but like, yeah, just the people like I'd meet there. You know, obviously Coach K is a pretty good um, reference for for anything. Um, but yeah, you know, just the whole experience and just being around that that environment environment at the university was something that you know I'll definitely look back pretty fondly on and I'm very appreciative of you know that experience that I was able to have and you know especially now that it's that it's, that it's done um, you know I kind of understand that what I experienced there is something that a lot of kids you know dream of being able to do themselves um, mm. as, as a basketballer and even just in general you know the opportunity to get a free education yeah you know, just play basketball and do what you love is something that, you know, I'm definitely not taking for granted. And I definitely recognize that, you know, I'm very lucky um, from that standpoint. Um, so yeah, super, um, super fortunate. And, and Jack, what exactly does that, um, does that scholarship include? Uh, you know, in terms of, I know that NCAA, it's, it's technically not a paid gig, but are you over there? Are you over there? spending any of your own money on anything or what 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 can that scholarship include yeah i mean ended up spending a little bit of my money um yep. you know and, and nagging mum and dad for a bit of an parents money. exactly there we go yeah. his parents I'm money Get in there. i'm a poor college kid you know i've got no money <laughs> but um 
yeah, so I was living on campus for the first two years. So like my accommodation was taken care of. Um, I mean, obviously we get all the gear, um, travel, um, like we'd get two meals a day, um, like breakfast and post-practice. Um, and we would also get like a, a little stipend, um, which was like called the cost of attendance. Um, and we'd get that kind of once a semester and that would kind of be based off. Um, so like, for example, like I lived with um, one of my best mates, Javin, he's from Virginia, which, you know, he lives a three hour drive from campus. Um, and like, obviously, you know, from the other side of the world. So like my, like I would get a slightly higher um, amount of money just because it would technically like cost him less to be able to go home and do certain things. Um, so I would get compensated a little bit for that. Um, but it wasn't really that significant. Um, and then once I moved off campus, um, you know, we got a bit more money just in our bank accounts, just so we had a bit more freedom, um, in terms of, you know, the place where we wanted to live and kind of going through that process ourselves. Um, but yeah, it all kind of worked out to be about the same. Now I'm suspecting that most day-to-days, um, a day in the life, so on campus for you, so study and, and study and playing basketball. So I know when I visited you, your days were fairly structured. Is that so? Yeah. That's all studied, structured around games, training, classes, and this was Bill's question. So he also added in and the girls on campus. That was Bill's added value to that question. Yeah. Um, how did how did that all sort of I guess, first of all, adapting to that sort of uh, structure routine. I think they say most elite, when you listen to other elite sports, it's that structure that they thrive on to have that there. Um, But then obviously with class on top of that and then the late night flights and then, you know, how did you go adapting to all that? And sort of could you give us a bit more understanding of maybe a day in the life on campus of of what you would do or of really leading out to a game? Yeah, for sure. So I think like the thing that I was very lucky to have experience was like being at the AIS for, for two years, which first of all, you know, gave me a taste of living away from home um, and, you know, kind of worked as a baby step in terms of getting used to that um, part of the whole gig. Um, and as well as that, you know, that, you know, just kind of managing your time, you know, we'd be practicing and working out a lot at the Institute and obviously probably my high school class schedule was a bit more strenuous and, time consuming in terms of just actual class and college um, and we'd have study hall and stuff at the institute so kind of managing my time like that was something that I was used to doing from like an early age before I got to college mm. um, and then yeah when I got <clears throat> when I got to college you know it was, it was a pretty seamless um, transition um, again you know big kind of credit to the to the institute but like just the people that were around and supporting me were, were top notch and kind of made me feel very comfortable from the get go. Um, but yeah, in terms of like a typical, um, you know, kind of day in the life, if we're in season, um, you know, we're going to play two, three games a week. Um, so, you know, it would, it would kind of all be based around that, you know, obviously we need time to rest. Um, and that was one thing that, you know, Duke was really good with and, especially, you know, stories that I'd heard about with other schools, you know, schools that just kind of run their yeah. plays into the ground and have like three hour practices and stuff like that. But ours was pretty, 
well managed and you know like sports science was like pretty prominent in terms of looking at our loading and and everything like that but um like generally speaking like we would try and lift at least two or three times a week in season so we usually do that in the morning in um in the off season but then kind of once the travel schedule ramped up a bit you know we'd kind of have like a practice or a shorter practice and then guys would lift afterwards um just so you know we had a bit more time for our recovery and sleep and then as well like obviously academics if if stuff was picking up there um so i mean let's say my my class schedule um let's say i'd probably have class like 10.05 to 11.20 um i'd have breakfast we have like a team breakfast before that um so 10.05 to 11.20 i'd have class and then i'd have another class 11.45 to 1 then i'd uh trot over to to the gym and we'd have a practice at 1.45. So, you know, I'd get taped up and get my shots up beforehand or whatever, get treatment if I need it. Um, go through the practice, <clears throat> get extra shots, lift, whatever I need to do, kind of on my own. Um, and then we'd always have like a team meal set up whenever we'd have practice. Um, so it would kind of be like a pretty much an early dinner by the time we were done with practice. Um, and then, yeah, like sometimes I would have night class um, that I would have. so. I'd either be in class for another hour 15 or two and a half hours at night. Um, or after that, you know, if I need to take care of some academic stuff or, you know, just kind of chill out, it was just kind of my time at that point. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was always, you know, pretty structured and like for the most part, especially like during business hours, we'd always kind of have something to do, whether it yeah. would be class or practice or something else basketball related. Um, but in saying that, you know, we definitely still had a good amount of free time to kind of just chill out and kick back and you know, kind of do the things that we would want to do in our own time. And how does the Aussie accent go around campus? Um, everyone likes it. Um, a bit hard to understand at times, especially like going around drive throughs and stuff. So, yeah, I saw something that Javin put on. Uh... Oh, you saw that? <laughs> If I had a dollar for every time that shit happened, man. Oh, <laughs> well, that was pretty funny at Macca's. That was the worst experience I've ever seen in a drive-thru in my life. Yeah, like, so, oh my goodness. So like, I think we would always, get, get some context here, Jack. <laughs> yeah, so like um, going through a drive-thru, I'd often be the one to kind of, I'd go get us like coffees or something on like a Sunday or, you know, whatever it is. And, um, you know, we always get iced coffees um, and especially like before we left, you know, the, the weather was good and, you know, we get iced coffees. And anyway, going in the drive-thru and I'm like, oh yeah, can I get a, a large iced coffee or whatever? And they're like, so I kind of go through each person's order who I'm getting it for. And then uh, like they read it back and they're like, all right, I got like a, a hot coffee. And I'm like, I have not said hot once. <laughs> and then, um, and I was like, can I get like can I get them cold? And then like the person on the other end is like, oh, well, you shouldn't have said hot. And I'm just, <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, I'm not going to have yeah. to fight you when I get to the window. Like, this, this is ridiculous. Like, I've not said hot once, man. Oh, <laughs> so like, going through stuff like that, you know, makes me want to pull me hair out a bit. But um, Yeah, that's gold. Hilarious. Yeah, I've, Hilarious. I've tried to perfect my um, American accent for the drive-through. Jack, uh, come come visit us in Vietnam if you want to experience your English uh, going absolutely yeah, insane. Oh yeah, I think we can take it to a whole other level. 
yeah, no, yeah. I should have known my audience a bit better here. Now, it's just when I get back onto Coach K, so I'm not sure in terms of how many people are going to be listening to the podcast. I know, shout out to, to, to Keezy, because Keezy will listen to this being an ex-Western oh, wow. Sydney Razorback player who was involved uh, with the Vietnam Swans, president and player. Um, but, but I guess you should give an overview of you touched on Coach K and the credentials of the man. Could you, could you give us a, 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 um, a bit of a short overview of that? And I think... I read, which is the frustrating part, I guess, potentially for some of the players, is I read in, in the media that he's on about six million US a year. Yeah, and, and given the players get donuts of that. Um, but but as I say, it's I know that's potentially changing. But just as a as a bit of background, everyone, could you just give us a bit of a sort of a snapshot of Coach K's background? For sure. So yeah, he's, uh, he's from Chicago um, in the U.S. He went to um, West Point, so he's got a military background um, in, the, um, in the Army. He was a cadet. Um, and then, you know, played basketball at West Point, um, the, the Army kind of university. Um, and then straight after that, pretty much took his attention to coaching um, and ended up, you know, getting a, a coaching job at West Point, you know, his, his alma mater. And then ended up when he was like 30, ended up getting the head coaching job at Duke. Um, mm. So he's been there ever since. So I think this will be his 41st year. Um, so he's been there for obviously ages um, and has kind of been the guy that has built the program and made it what it is today. And um, he's also had a lot of success in international basketball coaching, um, like Team USA on the senior national team. So I think his record is like 78 and one or like something absurd. He's only ever lost one international um, wow. game of basketball. Um, but yeah, I mean, not he's... Quite, not quite the same coaching record as mine to do with the Vietnam Swans, unfortunately, but uh, not bad. Not you bad, will, yeah. I say, Bill. Not People bad. will take what they can get. People will take well, what they can get, mate. You've, you've <laughs> got to work with the cattle you got on the park too. I think. Oh, please, you're killing me. Um... <laughs> So, so, Jack, I mean, obviously with the coach being at that sort of profile, being on six mil, being a, a genuine celebrity in, in the US, how, how is the, how, for someone like me outside, everybody's heard of the Duke basketball team, but it's, it's really hard for us to understand how college sports can be at that profile and then how a team, how a college like Duke can have the basketball team, you know, sort of over time just become such a, a big part of the sporting landscape. Can you explain from your from your kind of time there how, how that all fits fits together? Yes, I mean he's obviously just a huge figure, um, like in the basketball world, and you know he's very well recognised within the local the community. Um, but I mean he'd get recognised anywhere he went. My, I believe why it is like that and why like college sports as such like is so popular is because like a lot of people, I guess, take a lot of pride in like the, the university they went to. Um, and I guess that kind of sticks around, you know, through people's whole lives. Um, and like, you'll see like college football teams, like big football schools, like Alabama and Ohio state, like these kind of big time football schools, like the majority of money that the school brings in is like from the football seasons and like ticket sales and, jerseys and all the rest and like even like television i guess to a certain extent i'm not sure exactly but 
but like that's like one thing that's being talked about a lot right now in the states is that like the football season for the fall so like in this calendar year um is being postponed um so there's a lot of concern about like whether schools are going to be able to continue to I guess, operate at the level that they're used to just because of how much they're used to their football teams bringing in. And I guess, like, same to an extent, like, with with basketball, bigger basketball schools. I um, mean, I'm not exactly sure, you know, how seasons are going to be run, um, you know, in, obviously in the, in the current climate. But, um, but, yeah, I think, you know, people just really have a lot of pride in the schools that they went to. And, um, and yeah, I don't know, like, even... <clears throat> I would say like college football is probably just as big as the NFL in yeah. the in the states, you know, just because there's so many teams and people just love football so much, and you know, you can just kind of see it all the time. Um, and then I guess there's that increased pride of you know, especially people who are alumni of those schools and have been there and continue to support. But yeah, it's a, it's a completely different world over there. It's it's pretty choppers. Yeah, I mean, from what I'd heard, that's exactly the. The sticking point is that alumni, that that real pride. I went to college there and, and you buy into that That's team and you stay with it for life. But, it, I mean, it still is astounding because we just don't have that scene in Australia. Um, what, a, what an incredible scene. I also heard yeah. that, like you said, the NFL are licking their lips because if the college football scene falls over, their popularity can technically double. They become the only show in town. Yeah, um, I mean, they're probably going to kick up all the scraps. They'll be playing on Saturday, obviously. Um, yeah, so so that's that's it's incredible that it that the college sport really sits toe to toe with professional sport. For sure, no, it's wild. I'm um, it's I'm all about in life about pinch yourself moments, right? So you just got to like, as I say, you know, you've heard the phrase Jacko, and uh, and I think looking at what you've done sort of with the, with the, with the Duke experience, but also representing Australia as well in, in the, in the underages. Um, I'm just trying to get around, get in my own head or, you know, obviously to hear from you is, is what is a pinch yourself moment? Is it, is it walking, running onto court at Madison square garden in front of your family? You know, I know, I know obviously your mum was there and M was there, Ben was there. Um, or as you as you, as you would call it as a regular MSG, not uh, not to be mistaken with additional salt that you put into your to your Asian food bill. Um, so so MSG or or meeting Coach K or playing at Cameron Indoor or having Floyd Mayweather come and watch your game or or Barack Obama there, you know, uh, you know what 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 is a sort of a you know, there might be a couple of pinch yourself moments, but again, it's something that us us normal human beings uh, haven't experienced. Yeah, well, I mean, I've you know, you kind of pointed out, I've been very fortunate in terms of the opportunities that I've that I've had. Um, you know, playing in different arenas like Madison Square Garden, those are probably the biggest ones. And you know, I've been fortunate every time I've played there, I've had like pretty solid games. Um, and like even like with Duke, like they call New York Duke North, just because so many students from New York and there's always such like a big following, um, you know, in New York. Like whenever we go there and play, it kind of almost feels like a home game. Yeah. But yeah, like every time I run out onto MSG, every time I run out onto 
Cameron Indoor Stadium, like talking to Coach K. I mean, like these are just things that, like, looking back on now, like I'm just like really can't believe that like a kid from Trelgan has just been able to like just do these things. So they're all kind of like pinch myself moments um, in their own way. And even now, like looking back, you know, it's probably a bit more now in, in hindsight, you know, I can kind of appreciate it all a bit more and, you know, things aren't kind of moving as fast and, you know, it kind of gives me an opportunity to really think like, damn, I've been like really lucky in terms of what I've been able to do and the people I've been able to play with, people I've been encouraged by or played against. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could go on for, for days about pinch myself moments, but, yeah, the ones you mentioned definitely um give it a good summary i'd say yeah and then there's also the flip side mate you know you might not know this or you, you may or may not let's see but the family back here on this side of the patch we sort of we sort of roll with you right from from this far away so obviously you know i'm going to bring up your stretch there of of you know mystery pointers that at one point in time espn yeah. decided they tweet about Right. Yeah. No. I saw um, it everywhere. Yeah. So and we and we roll with that with you. So you know, it, it's as you say, it's got the upside of that, the pinches still moments, but then also it's got that other side. And, and I guess the the mental strength to be able to manage it, but also as I said, get through it, get the other side. How have you gone dealing with that? Because I think there's a lot of people that fail that face that, right? And even let's say the basic thing now of COVID restrictions, right, and lockdowns. You know, it, it, it's a it's a mind game. Yeah, well, that's it. And yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't easy, you know, like, especially for me, like I'm a bit of a perfectionist and that was really messing with my head a lot during that time. And, you know, I just couldn't bloody buy myself a bucket. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, that's, that's a thing. Like it's just part of the game and, um, you know, going through that at that time, you know, it's definitely maybe more mentally resilient now. Um, and like, same thing with like, you know, playing in like, in Madison Square Garden, playing in Cameron Indoor, in front of like packed crowds, you know, I don't, I don't really think I'm going to be nervous running out in front of, if running on, running out on the on the court anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, like those are the things. Like, yeah, it's it's shit that that happened to me or whatever. But you know, it's just part of the game, and um, you know, I was going to have to get over it at some point. But um, but yeah, like in saying that, even though it was hard, you know, I, I very good support groups around me and um you know people who believed in me you know no matter if i missed bloody 40 in a row or whatever um plenty of and, people yeah. giving you advice i'm sure yeah but um i mean that's that's just part of it you know especially you know yeah. playing do can be in a spotlight like that you know you got to expect to cop a bit of criticism and and everything like that which you know i definitely had my fair share of when when i was playing um yeah, you know, it's just fun. You know, it's ultimately, you know, what I was asking for, you know, I can't be surprised when, when that happens, you know, it is what it is. And that's kind of the path that, you know, I've really decided to take in my life is that, you know, being a professional athlete and even now coming back to Australia, like I know that there are going to be eyes on me with whatever I do. And, you know, I have kids that look up to me, like people that are going to scrutinize me and, for sure. you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, if you, you know, may as well get used to it. You know, it's not going to be the last time I have a bad game or a bad streak. You know, but I mean, what I what I have learned is, I guess, how to best deal with that kind of stuff and how to move past it. And 
Um, and yeah, no, it's just part of the game. Great advice, Bill Crane. Great advice. With all those eyeballs on my uh, kick-ins <laughs> from fullback. <laughs> um, so one, one thing that fascinates me and, you know, we've already touched on, on the fact that the college sport scene is, is that big, but the NCAA, the, the, the beast that it is, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar industry, I hear numbers getting thrown around to have you guys, you and your teammates as the stars, you know, your, your blockbuster TV events, you've got um, Mayweather coming in to watch games, paying huge money to be there. Um, what, what are your thoughts about the organisation and especially the fact that, you know, it is such a bizarre situation to have non-paid stars at the middle of this whole system? Um, you've been in the middle. How, how did you feel about it all? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like, I knew what I was getting myself into, you know, like, um, you know, I signed the scholarship. I, I knew that, you know, I was going to be an amateur or whatever. I knew I was going to get obviously a great education, which is a big part of it, which probably still, even though what it's worth, didn't compensate. I mean, maybe for me, but like at least some guys, you know, the money that they bring into the school, like you look at like a Zion or an RJ, you know, obviously the profits they bring in are going to be higher than, you know, what I would individually bring in. But I mean, you know, it's, it's not something I was surprised by, you know, like I knew what I was getting myself into. And, you know, obviously now, you know, things are starting to, um, transition a bit in terms of guys being able to make some profit off their own individual likeness, which will come into play. I think it's like next year or the year after. Mm. Um, but yeah, and like I agree that guys should be able to do that, you know, especially, you know, I, I saw a, um, a story actually the other day um, from Grant Hill and he was trying to buy his dad a Grant Hill jersey for Father's Day. And he went into like the, the Duke store and had to pay like $120 to get his own jersey because like Duke couldn't just hand him out a jersey to give to his dad because of the, the rules. Wow. Like stuff like that, I think is ridiculous. But then like when I think about how kind of all that likeness and, you know, profit for the amount of likeness you have and, and whatever, how it's going to be regulated across like the whole of the NCAA, like it definitely makes me think a bit because then you think like, oh, a kid's only going to code to Duke because they're going to be on a, a bigger stage compared to like a mid-major school. Yeah. And then the level of competition, you know, might just be even more skewed um, because that's going to be used as a recruiting pitch. Um, some schools, you know, how, how certain schools are going to be able to keep up, you know, when they just don't have that much going for them athletically in terms of, you know, the money that they're bringing in. Um, so, and like, how is that going to be managed, you know, just with, within a team? So like, let's say like me and Zion are on a team yeah. and Zion gets like, I don't know, 50 grand in his pocket after a game or something. And like, I'm sitting in the locker room, like getting like 20 bucks or like, texting, know, texting, like texting just for an example, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I mean, another thing like, yeah, how's that managed? Like, I, I have no doubt it wouldn't be a problem in, like, our locker room at Duke just because that's how the, my teammates were and, and are. But, like, other schools, like, I don't see how that would always go, like, as people would want. Um, so, I mean, I think there's definitely, like, a lot of steps in terms of the final goal in terms of what people actually want to see um, in terms of, like, these rule changes. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, like, such a huge switch from being, like, an amateur 
organization where no player really has the right to any profit that they bring in to then how do you make that transition and make it i guess smooth especially at a time like this yeah yeah we'll, we'll um we'll ask you a little bit more about zion and, and your teammates because I, I feel like they've been the tipping point your your period your generation um has has really brought this all to a head um yeah now there's another interesting situation what what do you make of the is it is it Lamelo Ball who who came and played one of the Ball brothers? Yeah. Um, yeah, Lamello. What do you make of him? He's he's like the um, the backwards you. So he's he's come up high profile American basketball talent, and he skipped the the college system to go and get paid a bit of cash, a bit of pocket money can, compared to what he'll get if he gets back. Um, and now he's right. now he's lining up for the draft and he's he's looking to go pretty high. I haven't heard the latest on on where he's he's standing. Uh, what what do you make yeah. of that whole? You know, he he's gone the opposite way to you, obviously with a different profile and everything. But um, yeah, what yeah. Did, what did you think about that? I mean, good on him. Um, like I was happy for him that he was able to make it work, and you know, it just goes to show that you know everyone doesn't have to follow the same path. I mean, I think of like um, Emmanuel Mudiay, like he was another guy like a few years back. He's in the NBA now, but he went straight out of high school and went to play in China for a year, and then went to the NBA. Um, and I think like some things like depending on what kind of background guys come from, like going professional straight out of high school is something that um, is a lot more beneficial to them and their families than like the college route, especially, you know, because they couldn't earn any meaningful income off their name and their ability. Um, but yeah, I mean, like good on him, like honestly. And, you know, I think it's a good thing for Australian basketball that we show that we have that pathway as well, that people can do that. Yeah. Um, I think you know you've already seen an increase in the last two or three years of those those next stars and they, like those younger prospects coming into the league and because I mean that was one thing that really I guess kind of made me put like the college path at the you know in, in the front of my head um, was because like whenever I watched the NBL when I was growing up you know you never saw really any young guys mm. and like playing and then even like really on a roster when they're like 18 or 19 years old. It's like when I was growing up, you know, I saw like Delva Dover and, you know, guys like that that were going to college and making it work. And, I, you know, as a younger kid, I was like, yeah, like I want to do that as well. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, that's when I kind of got to that crossroads when I was, when I was 18 and I was with Cairns and I was like, oh damn, I like, I'm really enjoying like, this experience like with this NBL team, like could I make this work? Um, but yeah, that experience of college and the, the education as well. And I mean, especially going to Duke was just something that, you know, I just couldn't kind of refuse and knew that, you know, that was, you know, if I was going to go to college, then I was going to go to college and like really, you know, challenge myself. So it all, yeah, obviously all worked out pretty well. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm curious, like, and again, I've actually never asked this question before, but um, it, it, when I was thinking about this question, it, it did remind me of a start, funny story. And going back to the early conversation, Bill, when I, my brief claim to fame, being able to dunk over my twin nephews, um, I remember one one Christmas, 
right? I was trying to always come over with gifts for the for, for the family, right? For siblings and extended family. And I remember I specifically was talking to Jack about his favourite player, right? And I th- was it at, when you were about 12, 13, I think or 14, Dwight, was it Dwight or Durant or something? Probably so Katie, Kevin Durant. Yeah, go, good, really gun player. And I thought, oh, I'll go out and I'll buddy buy this T-shirt. I'll get this T-shirt or whatever, you know, I'll buy it online, you know. I'm talking to Jack's mum saying, what size should I get this, that and the other? So she helps me out, come in, Christmas present roll in, give Jack the T-shirt, opens it up. Yeah, fantastic, he tries it on. Honestly, he doesn't get past his bloody, you know, his chest, right? Like he's grown that much, right, yeah. since I'd seen him. So, so not That's really... Not yeah, well, I won't blame your mum, Rachel. Oh, damn it. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of the perks, right, I guess because we talked about the financial side of it, besides getting, you know, five pairs of Kyrie Irving's shoes every season at Duke, what other sort of perks did you sort of get that, that obviously not from a monetary perspective, but any other perks that sort of you know, that, that came that really stood out or, or not so much given that there's sort of a bit of a tight frame around that? Yeah, it was definitely a bit of a tight frame. Um, but yeah, mainly, I guess, like the shoes and the gear was something that definitely, you know, held a lot of, like, value. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I don't... Not not a lot's really coming into my, my head about, like, specific kind of perks that I would have received. Um what about Frankfurt of Shooters Bar down there? And is it Shooters? Where is it Bar you yeah, took shooters. me? Shooters. What Shooters? Right, Frankfurt. Yeah. That, that prick made me pay. So much for you having Paul. I tell you, he made me pay yeah, me no, 10 years to I'm not big time enough, apparently. Jesus. But, um, but, I mean, if anything, like, yeah, probably that. Um, just yeah. kind of being recognised and little things like that. But it's not even, like, that significant. Because, I mean, like, people aren't just going to hand out perks for kind of like nothing in return and we're not allowed to really market or like advertise, you know, like, I mean, you've probably, have you seen my social media? Like I got like some gym equipment um, and like, you know, I can kind of give them a shout out and, you know, but if I did that, like when I was in college, like I just, I just can't, I'm not allowed. So um, like, like managing that now is, is a bit easier. Because I definitely have like people like hitting me up, like on Instagram, like a DM, be like, "Hey, like, do you want me to like send you this and like, you can give us a shout out or whatever?" But I'm like, "God, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it." Um, but now you can, you can now. Yeah, I can now. Yeah. That yeah, so I couldn't do that because that would, like, that's not an amateur act. Yeah. Yeah. So, so on that note. And and obviously this was the the highest profile for, for people like me looking from a distance. But the Zion situation, um, halfway through his um, final season, or what was going to be his final season, um, he had already signed a Nike deal. Or we all we all know. Um, I think Rocket actually spoke about it on our first podcast. But his his shoe blowout the night that that Rocket was there, um, that was already tied to Nike. Was that because he'd actually penned a contract or they'd just done a handshake deal? Uh, with somebody of that profile, you know, like an upcoming number one draft pick, what are they allowed to do 
um, or is it all just handshake kind of this will happen, not this has happened? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all it's all kind of up in the air. I mean, for that, like I knew he hadn't he hadn't signed a deal or anything yet. He was actually more of an, an Adidas guy growing up than um than anything. Um, like those were like the circuits that he played on through high school and, and all that. But like he didn't actually have a deal with Nike. I think it was just the fact that you know obviously he had so many eyes on him. Um, yeah. And then, you know, his shoe blows out at the start of the biggest game of the season. Um, and it's a Nike shoe. Like, like the next day, like, Nike's stock dropped and, like, there's yeah. people here like, kind of trying to work out, like, what went wrong. And, you know, it was, like, a big situation. But um, Is that linked to the, is that linked to the Nike deal, Jack, that, 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 ha- that Nike has with the school? Um, I mean, not... Not like specifically. Um, okay. I think it was yeah, just just in the general landscape of, of what was going on. Like that just kind of raised a lot of eyebrows and like people, obviously there are a lot of eyes on that game and and whatnot. And, you know, to see him in like the first two minutes of the game, just trying to make a move that he's made all season and his foot goes through the shoe. Like it's just not a good look for the company. Um, yeah. Yeah, incredible. they kind of just had to deal with the repercussions of that. Um, yeah. So, so you're, I mean, you're that whole season, the, the first time ever that one college team has, uh, what would you call it, supplied three of the top 10 draft picks. How was it sitting in the dressing room with guys like Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish? Um, what were their discussions like, um, you know, comparing each other's draft stocks as they're changing towards the end of the year and it's, it's all coming to a bit of a head? Um, are they discussing things like what sort of shoe deals they might be trying to do or what sort of arrangements they're making for for that? Because it, it's such a big circus. And then you're sitting, you know, right next to these guys while the, the whole country's media spotlight's on them. What was it like on the inside there? Yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing about our group is that that wasn't something that was talked about really? before the end of our season. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's to the full credit of those guys. And like I've, I've said this every time like I've been asked about him is that like those guys like Zion, RJ, Cam, like all those big time guys, like as good as they are on the court, like they're just as good off it. Um, and, you know, like when we're just hanging out, you know, I'm not hanging out with them and look at him like, oh, like you're a future, like top 10 pick. Like he's just like good people to be around and just to chill out, hang out or do whatever. Like they're just kind of great guys that you want to have around. Um, yeah. Like, obviously, full credit to them and their families for, like, how they've handled, you know, everything um, that's come their way. But, but, yeah, like, that was something we really had to, never had to worry about. And especially as, like, a captain the last two years when I was there, like, made my job a lot easier for sure just because I didn't have to worry about micromanaging little things like that. And, mm. um, and yeah, like, everyone really just kind of had their, their head screwed on right. And, you know, we all had a a common goal and just wanted to win um, and like what kind of happened after wasn't really a, a focus for us at all. So you never yeah. had to, um, you never had to put um, the upcoming number one draft pick in his place in a training session or anything like that. Michael Jordan style. No. <laughs> never had to. I was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> you watch too much TV, Bill. Um, Jack, do you keep any? Do you keep in contact with any of the boys still outside? Of, I know because I know you're close to Javin, but any 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 other boys you keep in contact with, sort of quite regularly. 
from doing yeah, it. I mean, I, I, I touch up with um, with those kind of fellas um, every so often. Like it was um, Zion and RJ's birthday pretty recently, so I hit them up and you know I've got them on Snapchat and all the socials and stuff. And you know I was just talking to Trey Jones the other day and how he's doing because he's working out for the draft in LA. And I mean, like all those guys are just really top notch guys and you know I don't feel like I'm you know kind of reaching to to talk to them um or like I'm bothering them or anything like I feel like you know that's the thing like we we all have really good relationships with each other and like Mm -hmm. care about each other and how we're doing like all those fellas like when the news about my signing came out like all like the amount of old teammates and stuff that reached out and like seeing how I was doing and saying congrats and all that kind of stuff was really cool um yeah yeah like definitely um makes me feel good about you know the connections that i've made with uh with the fellas that i've played with um and yeah no it's just a really good um yeah it's a really good culture that we had at the at the university with the with the guys we had and also won a couple of chips along the way with a couple of those boys as well yeah a couple conference chips wanted to get the uh the big one this year but yeah how it goes. That's how it goes. Hey, um, me, I, I've, I've fallen on my sword a couple of times doing these podcasts because I relied on my, my co-host here, Bill, in doing some research and he stitched me up about two weeks ago and gave me an absolute bull's roar of a, of a, 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 a fellow player of ours and, and their company. He just gave me absolute rubbish. So I've ditched <laughs> Bill's research. So I've done started doing my own research from now on. Now, I, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I've done a bit of research. Now, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure in the 116-year Duke history, I think it's 116 years, I think, since the basketball program's been running, yeah. there's only ever been 22 players that have captained Duke twice in their journey. Now... Yeah. That's there was pretty like a pretty special feat. Yeah, there was a media, a guy from like the local media that we always, um, you know, obviously dealt with in press, press conferences and post-game and everything. And he brought that up to me in Javin. But yeah, I can't remember the exact number, but I mean, like, how unreal, you know, like, like um, how lucky am I, you know, like. It's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, they're, they're one of the, like the pinch myself moments. You know, I think about all of the bloody top-notch players that have gone through Duke and especially the ones that have been there for four years. Um, like, yeah, to be captain twice, like, like man, how, how lucky am I? Yeah, well, obviously speaks volumes for you um, as well in terms of, you know, leadership qualities, et cetera. So, um, who clearly you've had a, a family role model uh, to follow in, uh, in Mayor Quimby. Uh, for those that hear the other podcast. Um, but the other part of that um, was, how does that all happen? So Coach K just rolls in one day, said, Jack, I want to see you in my office. Okay, <laughs> boy. Relaxed, by the way. <laughs> Jack, by the way, this year, you're captain. <laughs> um, I think it actually came down to both the, the coaches and the, the players. Because um, so. Patrick Hunt speaks very highly of, of you as well. And, Patrick's obviously the Australian guy with the contacts with, with Coach K, who I've met a couple of times. Yeah, so, he, so, he was actually one of the big reasons as to how kind of Duke got onto me in the first place. Yeah. Because um, he like he was based at the Institute of Sport and 
like we actually have a really um good relationship and like he would come over every year like to visit coach and then like we catch up for a meal and all that and like yeah he's he's an unbelievable guy um he's a great guy yeah so, so but how's, how's how's that guy from the captain he's jack come in sit down got something to tell you yeah, I can't remember how it went down, but like I'm pretty sure, you know, just had us kind of all in there at once. Um, we kind of went through like a little voting process for both mm. the um, both the years. Um, I mean, like every year, but um, like those last two years when I got picked. Um, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where, like, even if I didn't get captain or not, like it wouldn't have changed how I was would conduct myself. Um, yeah, like I was just kind of being myself and was just fortunate enough that I guess I was recognized as someone that had decent leadership abilities and and whatever um but yeah you know it was it was kind of like just a huge honor especially you know when I wasn't a senior and I got it um yeah in my junior year because you know that's not very not very common yeah um, and especially you know to have earned the respect of like my teammates especially that team when um you know i was still trying to prove myself and and all that and you know i was you know going into that year i was thinking about transferring and doing all that because i thought i was being over recruited and whatnot but you know i stuck it out and ended up having like a really good summer and working out against you know i was pretty much mashed up on zion every day and i really think like we made each other better and challenged each other and like yeah it was just a really good environment um and yeah, like, even though I got named captain, like, I didn't really have to change anything I was doing just because, as I said, you know, I didn't have to worry about micromanaging anybody doing the wrong thing or egos or anything like that. Like, I was just part of really good groups. Um, and I'd also been able to learn from and watch, like, really good leaders before I got that role in, like, Matt Jones, Neil Jefferson, Grayson, um, so like a lot of really good guys and high quality guys that I could learn from. So it all kind of came together pretty um pretty naturally and pretty well. So that's another thing that I'm really grateful for, obviously. Some incredible stuff. I um now I don't I don't want to muck this up, but it's not in the it's not in the questions. But I was oh, doing yeah. a bit, I was doing a bit of research. Going off script, um, looking at and I saw somebody quoting Coach K. Say, and I hope it was Coach K. It could have been somebody else or him secondhand quoting it, saying that you were the best teammate he had come across. A, is that a is that a factual quote? Because um, I haven't actually pulled it into our notes here. And and if it wasn't him, it was definitely somebody. And and how did you take stuff like that on board as a as a personal kind of piece of feedback? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when he has anything positive to say about you, it's something that did he say it? You know, proud of. I don't think those are his exact words. Um, Give me a bone. So, yeah, I think um, <laughs> like he, he, he made like a video message for kind of my signing announcement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think he said something along the lines of, like, I'm a really good teammate um, and that I was one of the easiest guys for him to coach in his 40 years. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, like I was just really... Yeah, I remember watching the video for the first time and I was like, man like i am wow. so like yeah like i was like man like this guy is like a legend of our game like i've just been so fortunate to be around him for four years let alone be coached by him for four years and then for him yeah. to 
kind of had that feedback after it's all said and done was something that, you know, was very special to me. And like even my relationship with him, especially as his captain, like our relationship's obviously grown. Um, and like we like went back and forth a lot and have a lot of trust in one another in terms of, you know, just what was best for the team and, and everything. Um, so yeah, to kind of have that feedback after it was all said and done and um, yeah, no, it was pretty special. Yeah, so, I mean, look, that, that is just absolutely incredible considering that's a guy who's coaching top 10 draft picks every single year. And for him to go out of his way once you've left his, his market, his country, and, and coming back to your home country, um, that's just, just astounding stuff. Um, but then that does lead me to the next question. In terms of your, your playing future, um, I think we've, we've kind of discussed it anyway, but you've signed with Melbourne United in the NBL um, on a three-year deal. Now, what were your options and how did the, how did the NBL, you know, was, was that always your, your direction um, or were there other considerations at play? Yeah, so it kind of um, all kind of fell into place just based on what's going on around the world. Um, so, I mean, ideally, um, you know, a month, about a month ago, if COVID wasn't going on, um, I'd be in Vegas playing summer league, hopefully with uh, with the team. You know whether I got drafted or not. You know, try and kind of get me foot in my foot in the door, and um, you know at least just use that as an opportunity to get better during this time and try and do all my like, NBA workouts and try and kind of sneak into a, a training camp and stuff like that. Um, but you know, just kind of with everything that happened with COVID and and whatnot, um, you know, I really felt like the NBL was one like a stable league compared to Europe and like obviously the US is pretty crazy at the moment with everything that's going on so you don't really know you know like how the draft and that whole process for guys coming into that it's going to work um but yeah like the NBL and especially Melbourne was something that obviously felt really comfortable with um you know I, I would come and work out with with the group whenever I'd come home between college seasons anyway so I already had a good level of familiarity with uh, the players and coaching staff and and whatnot. But, um, yeah, just with everything happening with COVID, you know, I really felt like, um, you know, I was going to be put into, like, a stable position more so than anywhere else. Um, and then also have a really good opportunity to continue to grow as a player um, in Melbourne. And, you know, obviously being close to home is, is a bonus to all that. Um, so, yeah, it all kind of just felt like it, it worked out pretty well but yeah I was pretty lucky with the options that I had like had almost like all of the NBL kind of knocking on my door in one way or another um and then yeah I didn't end up exploring Europe too much just because I was really confident in like the level of competition in the NBL and just going the direction it's heading um a couple of things on that mate just what you said so well, first of all, let me backtrack to Vegas. I've been to Vegas twice, didn't see a basketball once. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as to... Anyway, yeah, you said a summer league. I didn't see a basketball once in my two trips. Anyway, that's just, just a side note, just to pick up on that. Um, yeah, but, but then in terms of, I guess, a couple of things here on me, just regarding the, 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 the NBL league... Where do you think it's at, obviously, right now? But also, I'm also curious as to the process, because obviously now you've got yourself a manager um, and the process of, of, of getting a manager. Um, thank God you've, 
you boot your old man out of the picture, right? My brother, and, and just get someone in there that knows what they're doing. Um, so, so how did the process around that? Was that a simple process, hard process to get yourself a, a management company? And then your view currently on the NBL, like in terms of it feels like the NBL has goes up and then comes down and goes up. It feels like a bit of a roller coaster, or that's my view. But I've been away for you know 10, 11 years, so I, I don't, I don't know. I'd be curious to get your view. Yeah, so um, yeah, picking an agent um, was something that, you know, once kind of word got out that the our seasons were going to end and everything and and whatever because of the because of the virus, um, I pretty much tried to get um, onto the whole agent thing straight away. Um, yeah. So like my like dad was still over in the states when that all happened, so kind of worked out a right that we could kind of go through that all while we were together for the most part. Uh, before he went back to Australia. Um, so, I mean, I had a few options there and in terms of different agents. So, really just try to get on the phone and try to just see who the... Because, I mean, I never really spoke with him before, like, the end of the season when I was an amateur. Um, so, I just got on the phone, spoke with them and kind of, you know, how they saw me as a player, what how they saw my brand, how they could help me, yada, 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 kind of all that. Um, you approached them or did they approach you? They approached me. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, try to talk to like some of their clients already that I knew. So, I mean, different players that they were representing, and um, just trying to get a better idea of you know what the best decision was for me. Um, so I ended up making that decision within I guess four to six weeks, maybe of yeah. the season finishing. Um, and then yeah, so that happened pretty quick, and you know I'm super happy with kind of who I went with. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of the NBL, like I definitely think it's on the up and even, you know, just during this period since like NBL free agency started, you know, kind of every time I open my phone and see like a different signing, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bloody great for the league. Yeah. Like all these teams are, are looking really good. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, this whole COVID situation has definitely attracted, you know, some really good local players back to play. I mean, like, like Cam Besto just signed, like Daniel Dallas coming back. Isaac Humphreys, you know, like a lot of guys that have played overseas that are really good um, are coming back to the league. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's going to be a great thing competition-wise and um, and all that. So, yeah, I definitely think NBL as a league is still on the up and, you know, just basketball in Australia in, in general is, is on the rise. So, Jack, with, with the coming NBL season, what, what are you hoping to get out of it? What are your expectations and where do you think, uh, where are you wanting to fit into the league? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I just want to win. Um, you know, I want to win the championship and really just want to try and work out how best I can contribute to, to winning in, uh, for our Melbourne team. Um, and, yeah, whatever that looks like, you know, I'll be, I'll be happy to do it. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd love to get Rookie of the Year and, you know, all those kind of individual accolades that I can. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the thing, the most important thing to me is is winning um, and, you know, being a part of a group that wins and always found that to be the kind of the thing that I've remembered most and enjoyed the most is that, you know, having a team with um, kind of collective goal and then pulling it off is something that, you know, you really hold on to. Um, so, yeah, definitely just want to, you know, do that. But then, you know, obviously coming in and rook coming in as a rookie, you know, I really just want to be a sponge and try and soak in as much information as I can about how to be the best professional I can be and 
learn from guys like Dave Barlow and Chris Golding who've, you know, achieved things in basketball that I, that I want to um, in my career. Um, so, yeah, just really just looking forward to the whole experience of, of it all and learning something new every day. Within the system, Jack, within the system, what education do they give you around social media? Do they, like, is at Duke, were they giving you, and at Melbourne, is that part of an induction that you go through in terms of updating around the uses of social media and how do you use it and not respond? Is there any, like, you know, obviously, as you said, I'm thinking of the AFL just recently and, and Callum Ward and all the sledging that he copped and, and you know, some abuse, etc., around that so-called dive he took on the on that game the other week. Um what sort of education are they giving you around sort of the social media side? If yeah, well, I mean, that's, yeah, it's pretty common practice at this point. Like, yeah, I got that at Duke and have again, like gotten that to a certain extent, like just in my short time at Melbourne. Um, so like, yeah, both like Duke and Melbourne have assigned like, like social media, like workers per se, um, guys that kind of know the ins and outs of it and how to best um, use it to our advantage, um, both as a, like collective team thing and as an individual. Um, but yeah, like for me, like I don't really, I'm not huge on social media myself. Um, like I don't have Twitter downloaded on my phone and I really just kind of use it to more or less, you know, checking with friends and family. But in saying that, like I'm not going to be ignorant and say like, yeah, I haven't gone on Twitter after like a good or bad game and like see what people write. And, you know, sometimes it's not very nice and sometimes it is. And, you know, that's just part of it. But I think for me, like the way I think of social media is that it all, it's just like a, um, I don't know, like it's, it's not real life, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's something that, you know, I kind of remind myself of and, you know, it just kind of makes me not as concerned with what I see on there and, you know, not taking everything at face value. Um, and I guess that helps me in terms of like, like what you just said about Callan Ward. Like if I get in a, a situation where I'm getting sledged on social media, like obviously I'm going to stay away from it. You know, like I'm going to know in myself that like what I've done, whether it's good or bad. And I don't really need the, um, the confirmation or, um, yeah. or sledging that comes along with my actions. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie, like, you know, I've come close because here, trying to follow your games in America, the best way for me to follow, I couldn't get live stream, was to follow it via Twitter because right. they were pretty constant sure. updates. So, and I tell you, I, I had to pull the, cut my hands off uh, quite a few times in terms of some of the shit that gets written out there. Yeah, um, don't me too. Know. I've always wondered, you know, just how good I could come back to some of these posts about me and stuff, but... Yeah. yeah, I can't, can't exactly do that. Like, that's a thing. Like, you always got to be conscious of your brand. And, you know, especially for me, like, I mean, I've got, like, 50,000 people following me on Instagram or, like, whatever. Like, I can't just go out and put something on my story that's not, like, well thought out, you know. Um, so, yeah, just being conscious of that um, is something that's, like, important, especially in this day and age. Yes, very yes. much so. Yeah, I mean, that's your that's your bread and butter. So anything that that can can risk that. Um, now, beyond the 
beyond the um, I guess the club the club scene the, the week to week training and everything. Um, the the highest profile in my lifetime, the highest profile uh, basketball exposure we get in Australia is obviously the Boomers. So Olympics, um, World Championships, anything like that. I still remember, you know, back to the Andrew Gaze days. Um, absolutely loving it. Now the team's as good as it's ever been, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, coming fourth. At, at the last Olympics and also the World Cup. Um, and then with players like Simmons, Exum, Tom Maker, uh, and then the legends still around like Bogut, Patty Mills, Delavadova, all, all of that scene. Um, firstly, how hard do you think it would be to push into that scene? And, and how excited would you be to, to, to get to that national level? And even better, you know, one day knock off Zion and the Yanks. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's definitely tough. I mean, definitely a competitive, um, you know, bunch of guys for, for those Olympic teams and world championship teams. But I mean, it's only a positive thing for, for the sport and especially the sport in Australia. Um, but yeah, you know, that's obviously a dream of mine to continue to represent Australia. You know, that's the thing that I'm most proud of in my whole career. I um, mean, there's no kind of feeling like it, you know, when you're listening to the anthem before a game and, you know, you kind of get yeah. goosebumps yeah. and it's pretty special. Um, so obviously to be able to do that at an Olympic level, you know, the highest level of basketball there is, um, that would be the ultimate pinnacle of what I would want to achieve. Um, but yeah, you know, if I could break into a training squad and even just learn from some of these guys, like I've been fortunate enough to learn from and work out with Joe Ingalls last year and like talking to Dally and like having relationships with some of these guys. And I mean, you mentioned it before, like, got to meet Bogut and work out his facility um, many years ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that would be insane. And for me, you know, just trying to take it one day at a time um, <laughs> at this point and just trying to yeah, control what I can control and, um, and, yeah, just try to be the best I can be. You know, I've got some high expectations for myself for this season in terms of, you know, what I want to achieve and, you know, how I want to improve. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it all kind of, comes together and, and yeah as you said you know to, if I could be a part of that first team to win a medal from mm. the men's basketball side of things you know that's something that I'd hold on hold on to forever so if I can do that you know that'd be unreal from, from what you've seen obviously with front row seats to the whole American scene and and a lot of other internationals coming through the same space do you think Australia can move up to that real top top level as a, as a country? I think so. I mean, we're definitely on the right track to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's always going to be competitive, but that's the thing about those kind of tournaments is that, you know, like who would have thought Argentina would have won in 04? Like, you know, it's, it's in those kind of tournaments, you know, everyone is just so elite yeah. that there's really yeah. no room for error and like games are decided by like inches, you know, like Paddy Mills, a few years ago, you know, didn't get that charge call. And, like, that's a difference between winning a medal and not winning a medal. Um, so, I mean, we're definitely on the on the up. And I think, you know, our consistency in terms of, you know, being around that fourth and fifth mark um, shows that we're getting there. Um, and, you know, there's always going to be the good teams like Spain, Serbia, Croatia, the US, France, Greece. I mean, you can just go on and on. Like, there's just so many good teams from 
all over the world now, um, which is just great for the sport. But I think, yeah, Australia's definitely um, creeping in there. And, um, you know, we're definitely due for, for a bit of silverware. Now, moving away from the uh, professional sports side of your life, um, you've been able to sweep a young US lady off her feet over in your time there. Um, now, um, Alex, uh, is it Alex, Alex? What is it, Alexandra? Or... Alexandra, that's the one. Oh, I hope she listens to this because I reckon she'd hate being called Alexandra. Um, only something her we mother can call would call her. I'll tell her to watch it. We can call her Alexandra the whole time. <laughs> now, she joining she joining you and Oz. What's the plan? Is she going to join you? And 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 if so, what's her perceptions of the country? You know, with having if she is coming over, but does she all think we have pet kangaroos and pet koalas or what? No, she's not that ignorant, fortunately. But um, but yeah, you know, the plan is to get her over here at, at some point. And obviously, you know, the climate right now, it's a bit difficult to know exactly when that's going to be and, and all that. But um, yeah, it's definitely the plan. Um, yeah, you know, she's really excited. You know, she's regardless, you know, she's always wanted to travel to Australia and, um, you know, experience our country. Um, so yeah, just trying to work through that process right now and hopefully um, yeah, I can get her over here sooner rather than later. Hey, very good. She's a great chick. Um, now Jack, during my extensive, very accurate research, I also came, came <laughs> across you being, uh, came across you being quoted recently on the, the whole Black, Black Lives Matter um, movement. As, as a foreigner living in a country, which is something most of, um, most of us living in, in Vietnam and playing football here have also done. Um, how much did those sort of social issues, especially the significance of what they're doing to, you know, the whole um, American society at the moment, how much did they strike you and, and how involved in that whole sort of thing did you feel as it was going on around you? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy um, just overall everything that was happening, you know, from the protests and, and everything. And, you know, fortunately for me, I was in a pretty quiet part of the country in terms of, you know, both that being apparent in terms of protests and riots and stuff, you know, I didn't have to worry about that. And then obviously, you know, COVID's going on as well. Um, and while I was in North Carolina, in Durham specifically, you know, COVID wasn't um, a huge kind of worry. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, my, my girlfriend's um, my black, you know, my best mate, Javin's black. And obviously a lot of my teammates are yeah. black as well and African-American. And, um, you know, you just kind of flick on the, the news and social media and all that. And, you know, you just see kind of horrible thing after horrible thing and, and everything. And as a foreigner, you know, it's something that I'd never really grasped or, or thought about to that level. Um, cause obviously in Australia, like it's obviously racism in Australia and everything like that. But I mean, to the level that's going on in the States is, is a bit different and, um, you know, kind of just learning more from the people that were around me and kind of more just like being there for them and just kind of listening to their experiences, you know, is something that kind of strikes me as obviously not being right. Um, and especially for me, you know, someone that has, um, has a platform to kind of reach people and, you know, I'm a, I'm a white Australian dude, you know, like I think it sets a, 
sends a good message that like someone completely removed from that kind of environment can realize like, Oh yeah. Like there's some pretty messed up stuff going on here. Like, like something needs to be done. Um, and you know, like I went to one of the protests with, with Alex and, um, and all that, but like, I mean, there's so much more to be done than just that. Um, but I mean, yeah, the first thing I like was really just educating myself on kind of different issues and what's going on and listening to different people's experiences because, you know, like I don't experience the same things that my teammates would experience. Um, so yeah, just trying to kind of be more educated on the, on the issues was probably the biggest thing as I guess, like an outsider, as a foreigner, um, and yeah, just trying to stay up to, to, to speed with it all. Yeah, no, it's uh, certainly an interesting one. I, I, I don't, yeah, I think, as you say, we haven't walked in their shoes, so it, it makes it very difficult, I think, for us to understand, um, you know, what they go through. So um, I think, Bill, I think it might be time for your, uh, as it's affectionately known on the podcast, now, are we called it the quick six? What are you calling it these days? Is it five? Or how many questions is it? I think the super six. Super six. Now, super um, six. Jack, I hope, you, I hope you'll religiously listen to the Swannies podcast every week or two when it comes out. Um, the super <laughs> six is obviously the highlight. It's my favourite part. Um, unfortunately, it would be pretty tough for you, although the, you've now met, I think, two swans. And um, your uncle could probably... Basically, I go through six six areas: um, funniest, uh, best dressed, all of these. You, you could probably just throw your uncle under the bus every time. Um, yeah, but, but we've no, we've changed we've changed the questions up to to um, to match the fact that you haven't yet um, done a few footy tours with the Swans, but there's still plenty of time. One day, um, one day. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so, <laughs> Rockets actually created a new set of uh, Swanee Super Six questions for you. I'll just run through them. They're, they're top of mind. Whoever comes comes to your mind as soon as you hear it. Um, your favourite family member outside of your direct parents or siblings? <laughs> I can't believe you have to think about this for good. <laughs> well done, Jack. Well done, Jack. That's what we're looking for. No, well, it probably, it probably would be you, Rod, or uh, my cousin, Jay. Okay. Jesus, we said top of mind. Holy shit. The, the, pregnant, the pregnant pause then. Hey, man, I just want to answer my questions carefully and not regret any answers, all right? Right, I got it clear. So who has been the hardest opponent that you've played against? Um, I'd probably have to say, like, just you talking... Well, I'd probably have to say, like, Jason Tatum or um, well, Zion. Yep. But they're not, like, guys I've necessarily, like, played against. Um, like they're just kind of teammates in practice. Yeah, worked out on. Yep. Yeah, but like, yeah, obviously Zion's athletic, freakish athletic ability. Just he does so many things well that people, I guess, kind of let go under the radar just because of his athleticism. But like, his ball handling and his balance, speed, mobility, power, like, it's just tough to stop. And then like, obviously Jason Tatum's just like such an offensively gifted guy and you know there's just so many things if you take one way away from him you can always do another you know he's six eight can do a lot so you know competing against him you know when I, when I was a freshman and fresh fresh off the plane to the states was was a great experience 
All right. So where's been the best place that you've played and um, why was that? Um, well, it's got to be a tie out of Cameron Indoor and um, MSG. Um, obviously, Madison Square Garden, just unbelievable. Like going to New York, you know, it's kind of like the mecca of, of basketball almost. And even apart from basketball, you know, just the the people that have performed on in the in the arena and um, you know, it's it's just always been special for me. And then obviously Cameron Indoor, like there's just no place like it. Um, you know, every time you run out, it's just an insane environment that. Um, is very hard to match. Um, so something I'm definitely grateful for. But yeah, those two would probably be equal first. To give a bit of perspective on, on Cameron Indoor, your, your home court at Duke, what's the capacity and what would a, what would a ticket go for for some of the bigger games of the season? Um, so the capacity is just under 10,000, I think, but like you couldn't fit another seat in the place. <laughs> and like all the students stand for the duration of the game. Um, wow. so yeah like that's like a really cool thing kind of feels like you know everyone's kind of on top of you um, yep. and that's like a cool thing about it as well is that it's not like the biggest like gym you'll find where you'll play at but I mean the atmosphere that comes with it is like tough to beat um, yep. but then uh, what was the second part of the question um, why why I think you've kind of explained that right there <laughs> but yeah no just yeah, no, it's just a crazy place to be able to compete. Yep. If you were going to match your game against a, a another player, I guess a, a high-profile player, who would it be? Who, who do you think your game resembles or, or maybe where you hope it to get to? We actually had this discussion within uh, Melbourne United the other day. Um, <laughs> you know, I kind of want to be a hybrid of, like Pascal Siakam was something that the coaches threw out. Um, Pascal Siakam, but like I'm a fan of Kawhi Leonard. Um, obviously, what he does on both ends of the floor. Um, Harrison Barnes um, and like Clay Thompson as as a shooter, um, and also what he does on the defensive end. So, I mean, I really want to be an efficient player on both ends and like really get after it on defense, but be a very versatile offensive player. And I feel like those guys kind of. Um, kind of match up pretty well in their own way to different facets of my game. But, yeah, I always find it pretty tough when people ask me, like, who, who I play like because, yeah, I don't know. I, I never really give it too much, too much thought. I guess uh, that's interesting you say that because, obviously, at Duke, you had a specific role. And, you know, you always sort of ever saw was you pocketed in that corner to take the threes rather than dribble round or pick and roll or whatever it might be and pop up for yeah. two or, or hard drive. I guess that's a different role potentially this year or at least this time at, at United to actually have a more of a rounder game rather than sort of being that sort of corner pocket shooter. For sure. And like that was one of the things that kind of drew me to United was, you know, the ability to be put in different situations than I, that I didn't get in college, but like obviously positions that um, I want to improve in or can really... Um, you know, show that I'm effective, that I just didn't get the opportunity to do in college just because of personnel or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely going to be looking like a different player this year, I think, than what I was in college. So I'm excited. Yeah, good, good. Because you put up big numbers before you went away. So, Bill, sorry, I've cut him. You all right. Last of the Super 6, um, which has turned into a Super 5 because you answered one straight off the bat. Um, 
who, through all of this incredible journey over the last four years, who is the biggest celebrity that you've met? Um, I mean, probably Barack, right? Wow. He yeah. came into well, our yeah. locker room and well, got I didn't, to I didn't know you'd meet him. I wasn't sure whether you'd met the great man or not. Yeah, no, nah, well, got to, got to meet Barack. Um, like, obviously, Coach K is a pretty big celebrity, but Barack, you probably have him covered. Um, so, so, tell us a bit about that. How, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get much bigger. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he actually came to our UNC game at home um, and he spoke to both the teams before the, the game in the locker room. And, um, like, we all shook his hand and I kind of had a quick chat. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty surreal. And I mean, like, especially like as an Australian, like it's not, it wasn't as meaningful to me as like it was for like my teammates. Um, so like, it was a cool thing to just kind of be a part of the whole experience of that, like meeting myself, but then just seeing how like the impact that he, that he had on other, on other people um, mm. was, was pretty cool. Yeah. As you know, I was at that game, Jack, uh, when he was there and Zion did the shoe thing. So yeah. for the first time and probably the only time in my life, I've had a better seat than the United States <laughs> American president. Thank you later, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get you into shooters for free, mate, but I'll get you the best seat in the house. Correct, exactly. Hey, much. look, Jacko, look, I just want to say, mate, thanks for giving up your time. Bill will sign off, but I just want to say before Bill does, thanks for giving up your time and have a chat. And uh, I'm yet to see you play in Australia. I've seen you play in the US. I've seen you play in Greece. Um, so hopefully the COVID can finish yeah. up and I'll get, get home and uh, see you play hopefully maybe early next year. No, for sure, mate. Let me know when you're coming back in town and I'll uh, hook you up with a ticket. But thanks for having me, fellas. I've got all the time in the world, so you don't have to worry about taking anything from me. <laughs> I'm uh, in lockdown well, pretty bored, so this has been good. <laughs> As, as I've mentioned a few times, you're, uh, you're very welcome. We've got a Swans jumper here ready for you. Um, where exactly do you want to play? What position? I mean, I grew up playing rocks in a half forward. Um, but, mate, yeah, chuck me, chuck me anywhere, mate. Yeah, okay, rock resting I'll, I'll be the, forward. I'll be the towel waver on the bench. Yep. Do you want? No, no, we don't, no need for a full back, Jack. You're talking to one right there, so you, <laughs> that position's covered. As much as he tried to get out of there, not a chance. <laughs> no, um, in all seriousness, Jack, um, on behalf of everyone at the Swans, thank you for the time. Uh, thank you, Rocket, for organising this. But um, I, I know that you've, you've, you've been very humble throughout this, this time. And you mentioned, you know, the pinch yourself moments and that even now, as you look back, you can appreciate it. But my God, for... For bystanders like us, all of those stories are just are just something else. We all enjoy, you know, a bit of sport. We still follow sport. That's why we even have a run around when we're living in, in a obscure corner of the world like we do. But um, your stories have been absolutely incredible. So thank you very much, and we would definitely love to have you uh, in Vietnam anytime. Thanks a lot. For sure, I appreciate. It. Definitely love to visit. Make sure you follow Jack on his Instagram and with Melbourne United in this coming NBL season and also through the rest of his, his journey in international basketball. Also, make sure you follow the 2020 Vietnam Swans major sponsors. They enable our footy club to do all the great things we do 
and they've all been an incredible support through the difficult year that 2020 has been. The 2020 major sponsors are Wide-Eyed Tours, Indochina's very best travel agent, Vietnam Backpacker Hostels, the best budget accommodation and tours throughout Vietnam, the Alfresco's Group, incredible in-restaurant and home delivery Western food, Beachside Boutique Resort, Travi Fennell's absolute paradise on Anbang Beach, HMS Host International, who do brands like Burger King and a lot of other um, airport hospitality, and TAL Apparel, who do absolute cutting edge garment manufacturing and fabrics. All of these guys get behind our club, so make sure you get behind them. Uh, don't miss an episode of Keep Honking. You can follow the podcast now on all of the major podcast apps. So make sure you subscribe and we look forward to catching up for the future episodes. Yeah,